You're listening to the Hard Men Podcast, reclaiming biblical masculinity in a world of softness. How many times in the past year did you hear a Christian or a Christian pastor say that because of Romans 13, you have to obey everything the civil government tells you to do. On the other hand, we heard a lot of pastors across the country chiding people like John MacArthur because he was opposing civil magistrates, the governor, mayor of his city. Well, what should a Christian believe when it comes to opposing tyranny? What do we do when tyranny happens in our nation? Well, today we're going to talk with a very special guest. We're going to be talking with Pastor Matt Truhella. Matt is a pastor in Milwaukee, Wisconsin area, and he's the author of the book we'll be discussing today, The Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrates. The subtitle kind of says it all, A Proper Resistance to Tyranny and a Repudiation of Unlimited Obedience to Civil Government. In the book, which I would highly recommend to you, Matt goes over the history of the Magdeburg Confession, how the doctrine of the lesser magistrates was developed, and in particular, how this applies to our current cultural context. As Matt says in the book, we are statists and we're living under gross tyranny. So what should the church do about it? Well, we'll talk about these and other issues in today's episode of the Hard Man Podcast. And for more links, including Matt's website, defytyrants.com, check the show notes. We'll provide links there. Well, welcome to the Hard Men Podcast. I am your host, Eric Kahn. And today we have a very special guest. We have Pastor Matt Truhella. Matt is the author of The Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrates. He's also a pastor in the Milwaukee, Wisconsin area. Matt, thanks for joining us on today's show. Good to be with you here, Eric. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, Matt, one of the first things I want to ask you about is how you got into the study of the Lesser Magistrate. And really, what brought about the writing of this book? Sure. Yeah. Um, well, what happened for me was it, the whole idea behind the book started because of my efforts on behalf of the preborn. Um, I was astounded um, that, you know, you didn't see one state, not one legislature, not one governor, not one common council, not one mayor stand against the evil of Roe v. Wade and just say, no, no one's going to be murdered here. Um, And then I had a minister I knew taught me this doctrine of the lesser magistrate. And as soon as I heard that, and this is way back in the early 90s, because we were interposing at the doors of death camps, putting our bodies between the abortionist and the child who was being brought to be murdered. And uh, when I heard him talk about this doctrine, I was immediately, I began studying it and, but you know how life goes, you're busy. (laughs) And so years went by, we continued all our activity and efforts on behalf of the preborn. I wrote a few articles about the doctrine um, about 2005, 2006. Okay. And 
um, got tremendous response from people. People were like, hey, we need to, we, we can't find anything about this doctrine. And it's what, you're, what you said in your article sounds so right. And they were right. It was very difficult to find anything out about the doctrine. And um, so what we were doing at that time at our church was, this is about 2007. We had been spending about a year just seeking God in prayer uh, once every other week or once a month where we had nothing up our spiritual sleeves or anything like that. We were just crying out to God. We are a church that's heavily involved in ministry out at the streets, at the death camps, at universities Mm -hmm. and whatnot. And we just kept seeing our nation grow in its rebellion against the Lord. And so we were just crying out to God. And from one of those meetings, times of prayer, I had told all the people afterwards, I think we need to teach people in America the doctrine of the lesser magistrate, that a book needs to be written, that a website needs to be established, and, um, and we need to teach the magistrates and the people of this country what God's word has to say about this matter. Wow. And so that's how it, how it all began. And then, of course, yeah, it took from then in 2007 till 2013 to actually finally publish the book, put up the website all that kind of thing. Part of that was because I got bogged down in translating the Magdeburg Confession, which was the first time the doctrine of the lesser magistrates was formalized by Christian churchmen. Um, So, yeah, that's what initially got me interested was um, my efforts on behalf of the preborn. And I, I saw clearly the lesser authorities had a duty not to obey the superior authorities. Yeah, that, 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 that's very interesting. And you mentioned Magdeburg. Um, you, you talk about this in your book, but what's the importance of that event and, and the confession that came from it? Sure. Well, just so your listeners know what the doctrine is very succinctly, the doctrine of lesser magistrate is that when the higher ranking civil authority makes unjust or immoral law, policy, or court opinion, it is the God-given right and duty of the lesser magistrate not to obey and, if necessary, to actively resist the superior authority in their evil. So the doctrine of the lesser magistrate is found um, throughout the history of man, not just in you know, Jewish, the Jewish nation or amongst Christian nations. Even in pagan lands, this doctrine has been seen to right. practiced. I start my book out with a story about Publius Petronius, who was the Roman governor of Palestine under Caligula. And in 38 AD, Caligula, who's like tyranny personified, <laughs> although our, our federal government seems to have given them a great run for their money. And now we have all these governors <laughs> giving him <laughs> right. a great run for his money. And um, so he got Caligula got ticked off at the Jews about something and to get back at them, he made a law of the emperor, which said that a statue of himself should be made and it should be installed at temple there at Jerusalem. This law was sent to governor Petronius. He had the statue made. He assembled 12,000 soldiers because he figured there may be some trouble trying to put a statue in the temple there. And, um, and he waited for spring before he decided to, march to Jerusalem and install this statue in the temple. Well, the Jews got wind of it. Josephus writes about all this, Eric. And um, so uh, the Jews, you know, went and 
to Governor Petroni said, don't do this. This is evil. This is immoral. This is, this is immoral. This is wicked. Do not put this statue in our temple. And he responded by simply saying, you know, well, I kind of like to live. And so I'm going to obey the emperor and not listen to you. <laughs> well, the good thing was these Jews aren't like your average American who wrote a letter to their congressman or sent in a form email to their congressman. And then, oh, they didn't listen to me. They go home. These were actually tenacious folk, these Jewish people. Right. And they went back again and again. They, they had groups of up over 10,000 people demonstrating and remonstrating before the governor. They sent men of note and renown in to meet with him privately. He removed himself to another city because he couldn't handle all the pressure they were putting on him. And finally, the Jews came um, with nearly 30,000 men, women, and children, laid down on the ground, bore their necks to him, and said, kill us now. It's better that we be dead than that you, um, you know, put the statue in our temple. Wow. Well, just a few weeks after that, Governor Petronius calls the Jews back to meet with him. They meet in this Colosseum arena thing. And when they walk in, there's 12,000 Roman soldiers inside. And so they're feeling a little trepidatious. Last time they <laughs> talked to him, you know, he said, like, kill us, you know, kill us now. Here they come. So all the Jews get to the inner position here, um, Eric. All the Jews are on one side in this arena, all these 12,000 soldiers on the other. Governor Petronius stands before them all, reads the law of the emperor, refusal of obedience is death. And then he rolls up the scroll and then he walks down and stands between the soldiers and the Jews to demonstrate his interposition. Interposition is where you stand in the gap between the oppressor and his intended victim. Right. Stands between them and declares he will not obey the emperor, that he'll use all the authority and influence he possesses both in Palestine and in Rome to see the governor, uh, to see Caligula's law rescinded. That's incredible. It, it, it is. So he sends a letter to Caligula and Caligula's like, in good tyrant fashion, oh, <laughs> this is crazy. And he sends a letter by ship back to Governor Petronius to kill himself, you know, and, and which wasn't unheard of in those days if you didn't obey your superior. That was sort and, of the Hillary Clinton suicide <laughs> right. early version. An early version, yes. And um, in God's providence, what ends up happening is Caligula's Praetorian Guard just two weeks later assassinates him. Oh, man. And fortunately for Governor Petronius, the ship carrying word for him to kill himself arrived after the ship carrying the news that the emperor had been assassinated. Oh, <laughs> so, wow. so Governor Petronius lived. The statue never was put in the temple there in Jerusalem. It's just an awesome story of the doctrine of lesser magistrate. So anyways, I got all off on what you were asking about. The Magdeburg Confession was written in 1550. After Luther died in 1546, um, Emperor Charles V, Holy Roman Emperor, right. he decided to re-Romanize all the Protestant lands back under Roman Catholic practice and rule. And believe it or not, like almost everyone went along with that, although there were many who withstood it. Um, even Melanchthon, who was Luther's heir apparent, went along with it. Oh, really? There was. Yeah, he did. But there was this one um, friend of Luther's named Nicholas von Amsdorf. And Nicholas von Amsdorf was with Luther from the beginning. 
when he posted his 95 theses on the church door in Wittenberg, he was with Luther when Luther had been taken to Worms to be tried as a heretic. He was released because there were still two weeks of good conduct from the of safety from the emperor. So Charles V didn't want to seize him then. He let Luther go. And on his way back, Luther's way back, he stopped in Eisenach. And at Eisenach, he was, quote unquote, kidnapped. It was right. a feigned abduction by Frederick the Wise, who was one of seven electors in the Holy Roman Empire there in Germany. And so uh, Frederick the Wise was immediately under Charles V. Charles V had made it clear to Frederick that when Luther returns, he was to arrest him and turn him over. They were going to um, kill him. And so instead of doing that, Frederick the Wise feigns Luther's abduction, hides him in the Wartburg Castle there in Eisenach. No one knows if Luther's dead or alive for nearly a year. And he translates the New Testament into German, giving the German people their first unified language ever, because they had literally hundreds of dialects wow. amongst them. And so what Charles V meant for evil, God used for good. So here's Nicholas von Amsdorf was with Luther when all this happened. He saw the interposition of the lesser magistrate then. And when the first city embraced the Reformation, the very first city anywhere to embrace it was Magdeburg, Germany. And Luther sought so, thought so highly of Nicholas von Amsdorf that he placed Nicholas von Amsdorf in the pulpit there in Magdeburg. He preached to the people and the magistrates there all the way up to 1546 when Luther died. Wow. And when Charles V tried to do his what was known as his Augsburg interim to re-Romanize all the Protestant lands. Magdeburg was the only city that stood in interposition against the emperor. The story is literally of a city that defied an empire. And so the ministers of Magdeburg, there were nine of them who wrote this confession called the Magdeburg Confession. Nicholas von Amstorf is the first signer of that confession. In that confession, that was the first time the doctrine of the lesser magistrates was formalized by Christian men, even though it had been practiced by um, Christian men and non-Christian men. Um, you see it in the Old Testament, you see it in pagan lands, you see it throughout Christian uh, civilization history. Um, that was the first time it was formalized. So we took that, um, I wanted to read that, right? Because I know it was written in right. Latin, all important theological works were at that time. Right. But um, I don't read Latin. And I knew it was translated into German, but I don't read German. So I just wanted to read it in English. I spent eight months talking to scholars, historians, librarians across America and Europe, trying to find an English translation. There never was one. Really? So we were able to secure a 1550 original Whoa. from the Bavarian State Library in Munich, Germany. No way. That's cool. It is. And so I hired a guy with a PhD in Latin and Greek. Um, Cornell University, Christian brother. He just took it as a hired gun to do the translation work. And um, he calls me up two weeks into it. He goes, how is it possible that this document has never been translated? And That's I'm like, crazy. Right? <laughs> how is it possible? 
such a transitional informative document for what we pillared here in Western civilization regarding the institutions of our government. Well, and it's crazy, Matt. It's crazy, Matt, because you think about that and the pivotal nature of that, of Magdeburg in the Reformation and that continuing, I mean, the the impact, what what would have been different had they not interposed, you know? If they had not interposed, the Reformation would have just been a blip on the radar screen of the history of man. Wow. That's how important their interposition was if they had not done so. You have to understand there was a 13-month conflict that took place at Magdeburg. The Magdeburgers stood strong. Yeah, people are dying, right? I mean, like 4,000. Yep, 4,000 of Charles' men because Charles marched on the city. 4,000 of his men died. 468 Magdeburgers died. Wow. 13-month conflict in the end. Charles V capitulated, and the Magdeburgers were able to continue um, with their Protestant faith with their evangelical, it was known then, faith. They were Lutheran ministers. And then other reformers from that confession being written um, expanded it, the first and foremost of which was John Knox in his appellation to the nobles of Scotland in 1558. It is the best treatise on the doctrine of lesser magistrates ever written, in my opinion. Wow. And, um, Theodore Beza went on from there to write and expand on it. Of course, he was John Calvin's heir apparent. Um, yeah, Christopher Goodman over in England, Hotman, all these different men in these different Protestant lands writing on the doctrine. And you can follow exactly how our country was founded going back to what was taught in that doctrine. Talking about America, America was, right. America was founded. So it's an amazing story that almost nobody knows about. <laughs> so anyway, we translated the Magdeburg Confession into English put a bunch of footnotes in so you could get the impact if you didn't know the history of what they were referring to, that they were giving at particular points. Right. Wrote a forward to it, uh, pre- historical prelude, historical postscript, and I had an introduction written by um, George Grant, um, who's a minister down in Tennessee of note. And that, and, that, um, that book is still in print, correct? It is, yeah. And that book has sold probably about uh, 9,000 copies now. Um, and it sells better amongst the academic circles. My work is more of a popularly written work that goes into all the tenets of the doctrine, whereas the Magdeburg Confession is not. And um, my book has sold over 40,000 copies now. It has impacted and totally changed people's view of politics and civil government. Even, as a, even amongst churchmen, you know, American churchmen, like they pride themselves on their indifference towards political <laughs> or civil government matters. I've had countless of them write to me and say, you helped me for the first time see that my Christian faith should address this area of life also. Talking about the right. area of civil government. Well, it's interesting, Matt, and I want to ask you this. It really is in the subtitle of your book, which is a proper resistance to tyranny and a repudiation of unlimited obedience to civil government. But what I want to ask you is, okay, those are the really the pillars and the foundations of uh, reform theology, where the Reformation came from. We have the doctrine of the lesser magistrate. We have interposition. That's all part of the faith. And as you said, it's part of really church and world history that these things are happening. How did we get to 2020? And even the Reformed church, people like J.D. Greer, these soft left reform guys, they're mm-hmm. teaching that Romans 13 means unlimited obedience to civil government, no matter what they say. How, how did we get to that point? 
Yeah, how did we get to that point? You know, what's interesting, um, Eric, is when you read, like, if you read Christopher Goodman's book on the doctrinal lesser magistrate, half of his book is responding to the critics of his day. Interesting. And, and his critics were all talking about Romans 13. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's not new. It, it's not new. It's, it's amazing. Um, you know, historically, churchmen teach and Christianity has believed that when the state commands that which God forbids or forbids that which God commands, we are to obey God rather than the state. We are to obey God rather than man. But yet, when you read the history of Christianity, I see time and time again, all through it, that popularly um, what people believed was what you just stated earlier, that we right. should obey the civil authorities no matter what. And that is so unbiblical. It's not even funny. And it needs to be responded to. And that's why I had an appendix that I wrote book on magistrate author um, on Romans 13 because I knew it had to be addressed. In fact, we just made a um, animated seven and a half minute video responding to precisely what you just said most believe because it is what most believe and it is what most teach. We should obey them no matter what. And um, is that video on Defy Tyrants, Matt? No, but it's going to be. Um, okay. We just got it completed. And um, so we're going to be getting it out within the next two weeks up on Defy Tyrants and trying to get it out all over through social media and whatnot, because that's a huge matter. I hear from people all the time on it. And I think this little seven and a half minute video will um, provide a powerful punch for people to just post everywhere. People are saying, oh, no, we got to obey the government. Romans 13. You know, <laughs> and I think it'll be a, I think it'll be a. A great thing. So in my book, I respond to the whole Romans 13 matter. In fact, I took the appendix that's in the book and it is at our website, defytyrants.com. It's right. about 14 pages long. People can use that, you know, just hit the link and put it up when you see people talking about Romans 13. Right. And that, that kind of brings me to another question. As you look back at, at 2020, um, and everything that went on with what I've called and others have called the shamdemic, um, you see that what, what's kind of your overall summary take on some of the things that have been going on and, and maybe where we should have been interposing and weren't or magistrates um, and particularly the, the church too, right? What, what is the church's role in all that? Um, where can it grow? Where did it fail? Yeah, I, you know, I've preached numerous sermons, probably about eight sermons about all this since um, last March, and I've made reference to it in other sermons, <laughs> but um, I actually preached my first sermon against this whole nonsense um, a week and a half after Trump declared the national emergency. I ended up reading more on epidemiology than I ever intended to in my life, <laughs> and um, there were plenty of men in their fields, experts in their fields, totally debunking the narrative that was being promulgated at that time. Of course, now if you try to read these same men, um, um, they've all been censored, <laughs> you know, by Google and right. the others. You can't look, even you get it. to page 30, 50, something like that, which nobody goes to. They want everyone to believe that their narrative is true when it's right. an absolute lie. Right. Um, so I, I, um, Preach about that. And, and the reason I saw for what it was so quickly, Eric, is because of, again, my efforts on behalf of the preborn. Um, a, I have a biblical view of the nature of man that he's wicked. Um, B, I have, um, I'm a 
student of history, I read voraciously, and I anybody with a brain should be sus hold the governments of men suspect. <laughs> you know, it's like right. our founders called it a necessary fire or evil, you know, because it's uh um, it always seems to get twisted and um, perverted by wicked men because nature. And, um, and then having been involved where I've actually been confronted by wicked men over the years, I've learned what magistrates are like. A lot of Christians are indifferent towards that area of life. So they think, oh, you know, Andy Taylor's still, you know, leading everything and they're living in Mayberry RFD or something. Right. The truth of the matter is the magistrates have been wicked men for a long time, overwhelmingly wicked um, men of no character. Even those who name the name of Christ, very few are solid men, right. vast majority of magistrates. And part of that, Eric, is because of the us, the churchmen. Right. We have, aban- we have abandoned the civil magistrates, and that is a needy mission field right now, let me tell you, in America. I've been interacting with them for the last seven years now, and they're always stunned. You're a pastor and you can't talk to me <laughs> because they never hear from the pastor. Right. And, um, and the truth of the matter is the history of Christianity has been that we've always taught the, tr- the magistrates their role, functions, and limits, you know, in the sight of God regarding their office. But since we've abandoned that, um, yeah, they're tossed to and fro and statism rules. So it's, it's a complete nightmare. The churchmen in the situation have been despicable. We had a great opportunity. The church should could have took leadership by interposing, by saying, no, we won't shut our doors. And, you know, I point out that historically, churchmen used to block the doors of their churches to keep the state out. Now the state says, close down your churches. They're blocking the doors and the church <laughs> and the churchmen comply. Right. I mean, you can't get any 180 degree opposite of what the early churchmen were like and what we have with American church in our day. Um, you look at, you know, um, Chrysostom, Theodosius, they blocked the doors of the churches to make sure that right was done and that the authority of the church was maintained. And that's a key point in um, my book on the Doctrine of Lester Magistrate, that there's four great governments, God established family government, church government, civil government, all has its own role, function, and limits and they're meant to produce within the individual self-government. So when the state invades the other jurisdictions, which it has, it's invaded the family, it's invaded um, self-government, and it's invaded church government, chaos ensues in society. We live in a statist hell, Eric. And so right. the churchmen had this great opportunity to say, no, you're not telling us we can't meet. And they could have protected the businessmen. Because you know how businesses are so regulated under licensure and a billion little laws, um, they can the state can jerk their chain so easily. We could have been a benefit to the businesses. We could have been a benefit to people at large. Instead, we see the churchmen going along with it all, close their churches for months. The ones that are reopened, almost all of them have people behaving like Jojo the circus monkey, wearing their little mask. <laughs> social distancing. You can right. come to our church when uh, once a month, depending on what letter your last name begins with. It's insanity, but that's what they have, what they're doing, Eric. And, and they do all this under Romans 13. Right. And they also do it under, well, we have to show love and we don't want to witness. The truth of the matter is, is they are aiding and abetting tyrants, Eric. 
That's mm. what they're doing. And Christian people don't tell lies. When you wear that mask, when you follow what these guys are saying, these tyrants are saying, you are aiding and abetting a lie. And you are aiding and abetting tyrants in their evil. And that's what the churchmen have done. And here's what bothers me most of all about this, is not only have the churchmen played the traitors to Christ and that they closed their churches, but they also played the whore. Mm -hmm. You have to understand, um, the churchmen in this country have taken over $10 billion of government money. Really? Because if you closed your church down, you were able to get this PPP money. And so thousands upon thousands of churches across this country closed their doors and then took the money from the government. And they were getting two and a half times of what they usually get from the government versus if they kept their doors open. They were, they played the whore. It's just repulsive. It is repulsive. So instead of taking an opportunity to do right, to, we have the least to lose. I tell my fellow churchmen that we have the least to lose. And, you know, we, we serve Christ. We could have took the brunt of the government actions upon ourselves. People would have seen that. They would have not believed this lie. They would have rallied to Christ, Christianity, to the American church. Instead, what they see is the churchmen, you know, going along with the whole thing and aiding and abetting tyrants. It's a great evil. It's been an utter failure the response of the churchmen in this country. It's well, heartbreaking. I, it, it really is. And Matt, I think it, it gets to another point with um, stuff we've talked about on the show, the effeminacy of the pastorate, um, soft men in the pulpit, uh, functionally wearing skirts mm-hmm. uh, are a lot of these men, but they're also in bed with the state. And I think that's one of the deeper issues. Um, I, I sort of would tie it even to the Pharisees in Jesus' day um, really being dependent on the state for their prominence and their role. And mm-hmm. so there's this weird alliance, right, between, you know, guys in prominent positions, especially in evangelical circles, the Tim Kellers and guys like this, they they depend on prominent elites at the New York Times and places like this uh, to get their bread and to stay prominent. But I think that is probably also one of the main reasons why they're not teaching on things which you mentioned, which are you know, all authority is delegated to you by God and you're responsible uh, to obey God. Um, You have a chapter as well on the uh, law of God and society, right? We have a a very subjectivistic, uh, selfish, this this self-autonomy concept, which rules the day, however you feel is, you know, we we don't want to upset transgenders, so all the men should sit to pee. Uh, has been some of the stuff that we've read about. Just absurdity, right? Yes. It seems like a huge component to this is, A, we need courageous men in our pulpits. We need courageous elders in churches. But we also need courageous fathers to take back the education of their children. Because, correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like a lot of this comes back to how are we educating our children? Because we're certainly educating status, not, not people who are following God on this issue. I agree with you a thousand percent. Education is a major, massive thing. And I've always been dumbfounded how Christian people will take their children and send them off to the state to be educated by them. And of course, I hear this all the time from Christian people. I know most 
I know most of the edu- public education system is bad, but our district's different, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. And I've heard it so many times that I, there must not be any bad public education going on. I always tell people, go and minister outside an NEA convention, the National Educators Association. Oh, yeah. Just stand out there with a photograph of a preborn child or stand out there with a sign that says, you know, or something like that. You want to see who's teaching your children? Oh, you'll get a you'll get your face full of who's teaching your children government schools. And so me and my wife from the very beginning, um, our pastor at our church back in Detroit, that's where we grew up, he told us he's he was big. He said, you know, there's this big movement that started called homeschooling. And so he started homeschooling, told us, you know, and so we we were committed at that point. And we raised all eleven of our children at home you know, and schooled them at home. And it's in our heart. We could never send them off to the state. And thanks be to God, all of my children, we have six kids married now and 23 grandchildren. All of my grandchildren are being homeschooled too. I thank God for that. Yeah, that's great. And And the thing you said about the relationship about the churchmen and the state, you made such excellent points on that. That was excellent stuff. Because it is a huge problem with their connection to the powers that be. It's almost like churches more now exist to affirm people in their materialistic suburban lives right. than they do um, to actually, you know, confront the idols and right. ideological evils and tyrants of their day. That's what they've been reduced to. And this whole matter with regarding the money too. You know, most churches are 501c3. And so you know, they place I, themselves I under the authority of Caesar by doing that. Our church is not a 501c3. We've held numerous conferences teaching churchmen around the country how to get free of that thing or never go into it if they're a congregation. And, um, but here's what I've learned about the 501c3, Eric, is that most churchmen um, don't, you know, supposedly you can't talk about political matters or civil government matters if you're a 501c3. Right. Oh, oh, that that's what they say. But here's what I've learned is that it's not so much that, you know, that they can't. It's that they find that as a useful excuse. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. we, we can't talk about that because we're a 501c3 and we could lose our 501c3. Who is your Lord? Is it Caesar <laughs> right. or Christ? Right. You know, and so you see the sellout already. And then to see this taking of this money, this money from the government is just astounding. And I've talked to tons of people who looked into it and found out their church did take the money, closed down, took the money, and they're just astounded. And and there is a sifting going on in American Christianity because a lot of people are realizing the pastors, the elders, they thought they knew. They didn't really know as they've watched their response to this whole COVID. Yeah, and it's it's been interesting because it's been a very, um, you know, Doug Wilson's called it an unveiling. I think that's a good way to put it. Mm-hmm. You sort of, and I think Warren Buffett was famous for saying this. He said, you know, when the tide goes out, you kind of see who was swimming naked. They were swimming naked the whole time, but this really reveals what was going on. And I think because of that, um, and you probably have seen this in your own church as well, but because of that, there's like a realignment. There's a a shifting and a migration in a lot of churches where people are saying, 
really coming awake to these issues. Uh, maybe they're not fully to the point of they understand the doctrine of the lesser magistrates or even delegated authority or interposition or any of those things, but there's enough in them to say something is wrong and I need to follow. If I'm going to be a courageous father, I need courageous pastors, right? I need to follow courageous men because this really isn't the time uh, to be passive, neutral, like that stuff's all gone. So again, I just want to ask you, have you seen that, that sort of the migration concept in the churches? Huge. Yeah. And the, and the people who are like what you just described, realizing I need to get more serious about my walk with the Lord, that um, as a man, I need to be more serious about my home, about the education of my children. They are in the clear minority. Right. But there's many of them, many of them across the country that this whole thing has revealed to them stuff they didn't see prior to this right. regarding the state of Christianity regarding the state of their leadership within their congregation, regarding their own lives, regarding holiness and regarding faithfulness to our Lord. And so that's a goodness. And there's repentance going on amongst men um, that I've seen. We've had, I hear from people all the time, you know, because of the things I've preached and what I've written and stuff like that, since all this has happened. And um, it's encouraging to see. Um, and the, it needed to take place. I love your analogy about they were swimming naked <laughs> because it's true. They had all this cover because wealth and ease can cover things up. Right. Well, the wealth is going away and the ease is leaving. <laughs> you know, So it's like and things are getting exposed for what they are. What people are realizing at this point is they no longer have the convenience of being indifferent towards the unjust or immoral action. Right. That these tyrants aren't going away. And I told people this two weeks into it. I said, this is not going to end. These people are not going to go away. They have to be defeated in their evil. And unfortunately, rather than the churchmen using their pulpits as a means, as part of that defeat of wicked men, the churchmen have actually been using their churches as a tool to teach Christian people to comply with the tyrants. Yeah, to promote tyranny, which is just yeah. crazy. And so, and so people are leaving their churches. I know other ministers who've remained open. All of us have seen our churches grow <laughs> during this time. Right. We've seen people come to Christ. We've seen people deepen their walk with the Lord that, you know, prior to this had been their walk with the Lord had been very surface. Um, I, I tell people this, I, you know, they ask me, what's the cure for the state of the pulpits? Because people get it. Pulpits are weak and they're in awful condition. Right. And I know you've spoken about it um, on your on your show and in your writings. Right. Which needs to be talked about as well. People see it, they see the state of Christianity. It's indifference, you know, towards the evil in the land. Yeah, and I think uh, you mentioned this in the book as well, Matt, but it seems like a huge portion of this um, comes back to sort of the Christian Christianity as just this pietism. Um, yes. And, you know, I grew up in sort of run of the mill, you know, uh, non-denominational churches. And so we were taught like, Hey, it's all about you and your walk with Jesus. And like, it's sort of described in a romantic fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, and for a while that seemed okay. I think especially though, when it, you know, I kind of went off the deep end compared to a lot of people. 
uh, because I, I looked at all the societal issues and I looked at church history and I said, okay, our forefathers in the faith had answers to, you know, they, they thought that scripture taught on all of life. Yeah. So um, that was inspiring to me. But then I looked at the church and I said, well, it's just this me and Jesus pietism. Yep. It's not really good for anything. And then I started looking at leaders, prominent, prominent guys in the church. Uh, I think of one good example is John Piper. Um, I listened to a lot of his preaching growing up and really enjoyed it. But then he started saying things like, well, you know, if an intruder came into my house, I'd let him kill my wife. And I'm like, oh, this is not biblical. Right. So I think, you know, in this year, it's really forced people, even in the reform camp, right, to say, okay, we've had these principles, but we really haven't thought them through. And this situation is forcing us to go deeper than pietism. We've actually got to take the law of God um, and we've got to apply it to culture. And that's sort of where I've gone in, in the last decade is like, well, I'm going to read Rush Dooney. And, you know, again, people in the past have actually had answers for what we ought to do. Yes. My hope is it puts to death a lot of the pietism. Uh, but I'm curious, again, have you, have you seen this phenomenon happening? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this matter of the failure of the churchmen, of the pulpits, and this matter of the form of Christianity, pietism, is, is what it is. The only thing that will cure it, because people ask me, oh, how do we remedy that? And I tell them the only remedy is persecution and judgment. Mm. That is the only remedy. Um, Christ will always reform his bride. He will purify her. And when she refuses to do that willingly, he always uses persecution and judgment to accomplish that end. That's a biblical fact. It's a historical fact. And so that's what what it'll take in this situation um, too. So this matter of what's happening here, and it's, it's a global thing. It's going on all over the world. Right. Um, God's going to use it, I believe, first and foremost, to do away with this awful form of Christianity that is American mercy. Christianity is. And um, he's going to replace it with a tougher form of, a more biblical form of Christianity. I have no doubt about that. And I think things are going to have to get way worse than they are now, because I'll tell you, I don't see like there's no run on sackcloth and ashes down at the Ace Hardware. <laughs> so no. people are just accommodating themselves as much as possible to continue on in their self-absorbed lives. And so I, I think it'll get, it'll get way, way worse. And hopefully we'll, from that, see a Christianity that you described earlier, you know, one that understands that Christ his thinking, um, the law of God invades every area of life. Right. And um, I think that's extremely important for Christians to come to grips with because most Christians are taught that, no, actually, it just has to do with your little myopic life. Like I was just at the post office this morning earlier, and here's this placard, you know, postcard thing, large size up on their place where you can tack stuff up. On a right. cork board there. And here's a local church in the area, a big evangelical church trying to bring people in. Do you have problems with anxiety? Do you have problems with insecurity? <laughs> it's just that's what Christianity has been reduced to, like a self-help program. You know? Right. And it's all me-centered. Right. And it's it it aids and abets people in the meism culture. And so Christianity collapses all that, confronts all that, 
destroys all that and um, brings people to Christ, people who want to be faithful to him and see his kingdom in the earth and see him glorified. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great point. I, I want to ask you, Matt, too, uh, in terms of the church, there are obviously people who are coming awake to these issues. Um, I know even through uh, my podcast, we've talked about your book um, and you know, people will send me photos of them buying the book and starting to take a more active role. One of the questions that I get a lot is, okay, now what do I do? I know that as, as a people, and you have a chapter on this, as a people, we have a responsibility here um, because so much of what's gone on is we have not held tyrants responsible to the law of God. So at a very, very practical level, level, you're sitting in your house, you're like, this is all wrong, they're right. As a church, what do we do? Maybe, maybe some people listening are pastoring a church. What do we do? Well, as far as pastoring a church goes, we be faithful to the text and to the word of God, and we make the people understand that God's um, word addresses all matters of life. That's right. extremely important for us to do. On an individual level, you teach the people, and you should do this as a churchman yourself, if you are a pastor. Um, you, have to, you have to engage the magistrates. You have to um, talk with them and instruct them in their um, roles, functions, and limits. And my experience in doing this for several years now is they, they appreciate it. They look forward to it. Interesting. And so I think that's amazingly important to do. I'll share with you, you know, uh, my own thing here, you know, like I have this national platform through this book, you know, right. And, um, but I've always been a locally minded person. So like the people um, in the county I live in, they had me come in five years ago and teach the magistrates in our county, the doctrine of lesser magistrate. No kidding. Yeah. So we like had the mayor of the county seat there. We had several county board members. We had two state legislators. The sheriff was there and they invited the public in. There's about 60 people in all came to hear about this. That's so encouraging. Oh yeah. And they were on, some of them were on fire after hearing this teaching on the doctrinal instrument. Of course, I love it because I'm a churchman and I know it all exalts Christ, Right. <laughs> you know, as it points people to him and to Christianity. And um, so since then we've continued to, you know, teach them these things in our correspondence and whatnot. Well, get this, when COVID took place, our county out of 72 counties in Wisconsin, our county board assembled and they declared in April, this is way back in April, declared our county a sanctuary county against what our governor was doing. Really? And said, no, no magistrates here are upholding this nonsense. That's Absolutely. incredible. And then in July, they did a resolution where they all reaffirmed, the entire county board reaffirmed their oath to our um, U.S. Constitution and to our state constitution. And then in August, they issued yet a third resolution. And in that one, they called upon our state legislature, which is overwhelmingly Republican, whereas our governor is a Democrat. They called upon our state legislature and demanded that they do their duty and check the governor. Wow. We were the only county out of 72 counties that did that. Wow. And, um, but it's only because time was taken to teach these men the doctrine of the lesser magistrates. That, that's how important 
interacting with the magistrates is it is the history of Christianity for churchmen and for Christians to do that. That's something that anyone and everyone can do. Um, and again, indifference needs to cease. Um, if you continue to be indifferent, I hear Christians say this all the time, well, we lost the culture war. Well, the truth of the matter is the culture war never stops. The culture war never ceases. Right. And now the culture war is at your door. The evil that these people intend with contact tracing and all the other means they plan to use health officials to invade even more of our lives. Oh, it's heinous. Oh, it is. It is pure evil. And I don't know how churchmen and still churchmen teach their people to be indifferent to it. And it's like what you said, this romanticism. It's where they put you on this little hamster, religious hamster wheel to nowhere, <laughs> a flurry of religious activity producing nothing, right. making men effeminate. Christian men, you know why they go to their false fight? Sports is the false fight. Right. It's because they go there because they see no fight amongst Christian men towards the evils of their culture, towards right. the wickedness. They're sitting there watching these dopes run around on fields. I just realized a couple of weeks ago, these football games, for example, there's nobody in the stands. No. They, they, they're actually playing uh, so it sounds like there's a crowd there. Yeah, they, <laughs> you know? they, like, they pumped the, the sound in, actually, through yeah. the stereo speakers, yeah. And even with that, you think Christian Bell would finally be like, oh, this is crazy. This I'm is done fake. With these, these people, this is fake, yeah. No, they still imbibe upon it while their nation is burning down around them. Right. It's crazy. Well, and I think um, a lot of stuff has been written about this, uh, but particularly in China, sort of the aim now is less of the hard totalitarianism of gulags and things like that. What they kind of figured out is, Look, if I can give somebody a smartphone and an endless scroll of like pornogram, um, some nice pleasure comforts, if they can live pretty well, then they'll just stand by and watch as all these tyrannies are taking place. Um, yep. Because they're comfortable, it's easy. I think that gets back to your point about persecution. That's probably the only thing that's going to wake the church up. Um, I think people, small business owners, I've seen this, like you start losing your job, you start caring. Um, mm -hmm. You start seeing your friends. Uh, be put out of business, um, you know, those sort of things start to start to wake you up. But I think also, Matt, I think what's really important is for people to see like what your church has done, what you've done um, in your county. We just need the hope that it can be done because Christians, I, I feel like I was raised in the church to think, look, we're Christians, we're conservatives. We always lose. It's about losing. <laughs> Just expect to lose. It's, it's such a loser mindset. Mm -hmm. So to actually show fighting men who believe that you can transform a culture, yeah, it's going to take 200 years, whatever. But mm -hmm. the fight is worth it. Our kids are worth it. Um, so just to, even a small victory like that, I think is huge. And the church then can go and, and replicate that. Amen. Amen. Yeah, and I, I just encourage men too. Um, one of the things that we do now that we have older kids, they're married and all these grandkids and everything like that, is we'll gather together from time to time just for prayer. And whoever can make it can make it. And usually we have 30 people in our house. You know, we have a big family. That's and, great. Um, and just to, to pray 
to seek God and to discuss afterwards things of importance regarding the state of the culture and how we can respond to it as Christian men, as Christian people. I think it's important to do. Um, I, I can't, I can't overstate that the importance of drawing close to God um, at this time and living faithful to him because this thing, our nation is falling apart and that's not bad that it's falling apart. It, it needs to, you know, break apart. There's nothing to keep it coalesced anymore since Christianity has been thrown under the bus and God's law has been repudiated. Um, it's, right. just, it's an insane asylum, complete insane asylum at this point. Um, and leadership is actually, absolutely devoid this culture is devoid of leadership men must demonstrate that if nowhere else in their home they must demonstrate it there hopefully it goes outside the doors of their home and it should go outside the doors of their home but it must be done at least there because we're in a state of chaos in this country right and and i want to get your take on this uh as we kind of wrap things up here but the so big day tomorrow, uh, Washington, D.C., a lot of big stuff coming up in terms of what, what happens with this election that is just, I mean, I'm looking at it, Matt. I don't know what, what your take is, again, what you're seeing on the street and stuff like that, but it seems like no matter what, it's going to de- be a dividing point for the country. Um, you really have like at least two nations represented within the not United States. Mm-hmm. Um, you just so just curious your thoughts uh, about what you see happening in January, February and, and sort of the rest of the year. Yeah, um, you have to wonder, you know, we already have a people that, you know, are able to go along with the slaughter, the literal murder of innocent little preborn babies. Right. Able to accommodate themselves to homosex and two men and two women getting married and teaching school age children that that's normal. And if you don't think it's normal, school age child, you're the one who's messed up in your head. We've accommodated. What will it take, right, right, for people to? But I agree with you fully. We do have two nations within a nation. It's irreparable at this time. Um, there's no way you can um, live in peaceful coexistence with these two worldviews. Nor should you. Um, they are absolutely diametrically opposed to one another, and so the nation is breaking apart. I've told people, you know. You need to consider geographical things at some point, some point too. You know, maybe you go to this state, maybe go to this county within a state. Well, um, and it build, seems like you're going to need a local community no matter what to take care of. Absolutely. Yeah, and more so than ever. And that's why I get concerned about Christians who can't find a good church in their area, which that's a malady across the nation. Oh, it's horrible. It is. And I tell them, you know, you're so much easier picked off by civil authorities when you don't coalesce with others. So I try to encourage them to find others, even as just five, six, or a dozen other families who think right. 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 And um, be in fellowship with them, um, you know, be in relation with them is extremely important to do, like you said. So I think, um, you know, I think it's important that you put together a security for your home because it could get crazy. Um, and I think it's important to coalesce with men who understand, you know, that the tyrants may have to be confronted at some point um, in a physical nature. And, and this is um, always, Christian men have always 
all this nonsense. You mentioned John Piper about, I wouldn't defend my own wife. That is not biblical. And that is not manhood. (laughs) That's disturbing. Right. That is the prevalent thought. This more sissified you talk, the more gentler you are, the more um, skirt wearing you demonstrate yourself, the more you're accepted. The other churchmen (laughs) bring you up and the Christians. But Let's Matt, they're so lo- those pastors in skinny jeans are so loving. So <laughs> exactly. Loving. The good thing is all that's coming to an end. And right. um, but when you look at, I mean, Zwingli died on the field of battle. You understand that during an right. actual war. John Bunyan, Pilgrim's Progress, and all the Christians just love to talk about. You know, he was part of Cromwell's army. <laughs> you know, killing people. <laughs> right. You know, it's like, get a clue, wake up, get rid of this nonsense. The only way this form of Christianity ever could survive, I'm talking about pietism, birth and wealth. Right. And I was amongst wealthy people, and it only can survive in a wealthy condition. That's going to be going away. Right. (laughs) So it's like men need to um, understand what it means to be a man biblically and realize the fact that. Try to coalesce with men who want to meet wicked tyrants down the road. Because if they ever make it to your driveway, it's too late. Right. It's too late then. The security plan for your house that I talk about is if you have roving bands of thugs. Right. <laughs> and those types of things. Um, you know, you, you, these are important things as men that we should be concerned about. As men, God made us to be providers, protectors, and priests to our homes. And we should not be negligent of those duties. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Matt, I want to ask just one last question. And this is sort of from a pastoral perspective. Uh, say a man in your church comes to you and he says, look, I'm scared. I'm afraid. What's going to happen? What sort of pastoral encouragement would you give him uh, in this type of season? If he comes to me and says he's scared? Yeah, or just I think there's just probably more likely there's just a rampant anxiety of the times, you know, I I have to like walk myself back from the edge all the time. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I can relate to that. You know, (laughs) but but what would, what do you say to that guy to give him hope about what's going on and and God's promise plan future, et cetera. Sure. I always tell people if you feel fear, um, talking about the fear of man, the only remedy for that is the fear of God. And Mm. so, um, Fear him, not man. Um, It's our fear of God, our love for him, our respect for him, that um, gives us the strength to stand against evil, Mm. to do what's needed and necessary in the hour, to tell people what they need to hear rather than what they want to hear. Um, So I think that's extremely important to do. Um, Others before us, have you know found themselves in far dire situations than we find ourselves in right now yeah church history is helpful at this point absolutely and um as i have all my kids read stories about great men and women of god who suffered for christ you know in their lives and so once you come to that point you know where you realize okay if i die i die if i go to jail i go to jail um there's not much they can do to intimidate you anymore right. at that point. And so you have to, you know, again, finding a good church and getting under 
good teaching or finding good books to read and reading them. Um, all those things are important so that you think right as a man. Things are going to get interesting here in the days ahead. There's no doubt about that. There's some stuff unfolding and there's no doubt we're going to be seeing, you know, a break at some point, like you had talked about earlier, um, because people right. will try to, you know, they'll try to put up with stuff as long as they, they'll try to forbear. That's the right. Point. But there reaches a place where forbearance becomes sin. And I believe we've already been there, you know, for decades now. <laughs> right. And, but it's going to keep there, this whole thing going on tomorrow that you mentioned. And then the days ahead, whatever happens, you know, with all, if, you know, the Democrats take over everything, uh, they're going to unleash hell on this nation. At what point will people stand? And um, yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> so <laughs> here's one thing I learned from all this already, Eric. Is I used to always read our founders, and they always put the emphasis on the people to keep the republic. Yeah. And I, I'd always be like, well, the people kind of suck. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so why would you put it, the emphasis on them? <laughs> you know? Right. And I've learned from all this you know, working with magistrates over the years, and especially since the COVID thing. Our founders knew a lot of magistrates. <laughs> they knew they would sell out in a heartbeat right. and only look for their own rear ends to be taken care of rather than do right in the sight of Christ and to their fellow man. And so that's why I believe ultimately it could take the people themselves. And some people say, oh, these people who believe you have to have magistrates to stand against time. John Knox didn't believe that. I'm very Knoxian. Right. And, and it comes under the realm of family government and self-government. There comes times in history where civil governments are so wicked and so evil, the people themselves must coalesce and put them down. Right. And that's precisely where we're probably going to end up here, because as you've noticed, the Republicans are just as awful Terrible. as the Democrats. And anyone who thinks otherwise hasn't been engaged. They haven't actually been taught. And that's one of these things with the whole Trump thing and this whole election thing is that so many Republicans have exposed themselves for what right. they are. The whole COVID thing has exposed Republicans here in my state and state. There hasn't been one legislature anywhere in the country that's defied a single governor. Not wow. one. Not one. And so people are, I don't know what it's like by you, but here in Wisconsin, oh, yeah. people are mad. And I'm not talking about the vast majority aren't mad. They're just go along. To, I tell people all the time, the vast majority of people will only care about three things their whole life. Number one, me. Number two, myself. And number three, I. They'll live <laughs> for themselves. They'll die for themselves. The planet will never even know they were ever here. And they're good with that. Right. Read history. It's always two, three, five percent of the population that determines public policy, that just determines the outcome of how things go. And so if we as Christian men are committed to Christ, just to live in obedience to him and to do our duties in regards to speaking to all matters of life regarding God's word, including civil government matters, and confronting the tyrants and instructing the magistrates in their roles, functions, and limits, who knows what might happen here? Good Christian right. men rose up. When the Roman Empire collapsed into oblivion, good Christian men rose up and became magistrates, took leadership. Why? 
Cause at that point, no one wanted it. (laughs) (laughs) And and right now you have the worst of men in political office in America because there's so much money and power attached to it and prestige. Right. When this all goes belly up or things turn sour or violence breaks out far and wide and conflict is everywhere. Those worthless men will be gone. I'm telling you, They'll be gone. And they are like 95% of the magistrates we have right now. Yeah. Are worthless, weak. They're not even men. They're not leaders. They rule on con- by consensus because they want to be liked. Churchmen want to be liked. Magistrates want to be liked. While the whole nation goes to hell in a handbasket, they're right. all concerned about being liked. Right. Leadership isn't like that. Leadership fears God, loves Christ first. And therefore, they say what is needed and necessary, and they take decisive action to see what needs to be done is done, whether in their home or whether in the public. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think, you know, we've talked about that a lot on this show, but just the masculinity that we're calling men to isn't about, you know, going to the gym and getting swollen, taking selfies. It's about (laughs) this very thing of you're the kind of man that would say... With Esther, if I perish, I perish. I will stand for justice. I'll stand for God's law. I'll stand for Christ. And with the martyrs in in the history of the church, I'm willing to be martyred for the truth of the gospel. Amen. Absolutely. Well, that's that's awesome, Matt. I really appreciate having you on the show. Again, I'd encourage people to check out the doctrine of the lesser magistrates. They can also find Matt's work on Defy Tyrants dot com and Matt will provide a link uh, when that video becomes available as well on Romans thirteen. Very happy to share that. I think it sounds like it's going to be great. That so thanks again. Great. Yeah, yep. thanks again for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Hey, thank you so much, Eric. And um, I love the work you're doing. When I saw the first article that someone sent me, I was like, "Holy mackerel! This is great <laughs> <laughs> to see someone actually speaking to this important matter." So. I pray Christ gives you strength to remain faithful in what he's given you to do. Yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate that. And we'll be praying for your ministry as well. Matt, have a great one. And until next time, guys, we'll talk to you again. Well, thanks again for listening to this episode of the Hard Men Podcast. It was a treat to talk with Matt Trujella. And to find more information about his work, I'd encourage you to go to defytyrants.com. You can find his books on the Magdeburg Confession and the Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrates. And again, of course, we'll provide links in the show notes for those resources. A special thanks, as always, to our Patreon supporters. We seem to be getting more and more every week. We love you guys, and we appreciate you supporting this good work. We are in the process of ordering more pint glasses and getting things rolling with apparel as well. So we're going to have t-shirts, hoodies, and hats at the bare minimum, a new website, some online store, stuff like that coming your way. So very exciting news for 2021. We're working on that now and it should be rolled out. So for those of you who are VIP supporters, I promise your pint glasses are on the way. And again, we really appreciate your support. It goes a long way to supporting this ministry, helping me write a book, helping me write a field manual, and continue to produce excellent content that is edifying and uplifting 
for the church. So again, thank you. Until next time, men, stay frosty, fight the good fight, act like men.